good morning, class. Are you out there? Good morning, class. Good to have you with us this morning. I'm glad to be here. I told Pastor I wasn't doing well today. About an hour ago, I didn't know whether I was going to make it or not. He's always on call, and I appreciate that. But we're glad to be with you today. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We want to continue our studies in the prayers of the Scripture. We're coming to an end on this. And uh, Pastor going to have to give me a green light on other things. And But right now we're trying to continue the, the prayer series. Philippians chapter 1. This is one of Paul's prayers. And uh, it's a prayer that deals with holiness. And the point of the prayer, as we look at it, is that I can help you and you can help me to develop holiness that brings about a testimony that glorifies God. I can pray for missionaries in another part of the world and pray the kind of formula or similarity to what Paul is praying here. And we can help those missionaries become more holy and then therefore have a better testimony before God. All because we, back here in the States, are praying for them. That's amazing. And uh, so I hope that you'll get the vision of being a good prayer warrior as we look at these psalms or these uh, different prayers. Let's uh, have a word of prayer together and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray that in a very real sense, you would be in our midst and be our teacher today through your word and through the power of the Spirit of God. Help us to understand the wording that Paul uses here that helps us to appreciate how to pray for other people so they'll have a good testimony that glorifies you. Help me as I recall the material and go over it. Help me to make it clear and plain. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to read just a a portion of this psalm. We're going to look uh, at the whole uh, psalm, this whole prayer. But I want you to look with me at verse 9. And uh, we'll go through verse 10. Verse 9, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment, so that you may prove the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now, that's what we're going to look at today. And as we begin, I want to share with you some thoughts about the meanings of words. For example, if we talk about love, we can, in our biblical computer, we can click in and automatically think of Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's a kind of love that we receive from God. It's not the same kind of love love as human love. It's divine love. There's different kinds and different levels of love. 
Another thing about love is sometimes it means the attitude, sometimes it means, and more often it means the action. For example, if you would go to Romans 13, and we're not going to go there, but if you go to Romans 13, he talks about thou should not murder or commit adultery, you're not supposed to steal, you're not supposed to covet. And is there any other commandment? It is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to murder them. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to covet them. You see, love manifests itself in action. So when we talk about love, we shouldn't simply think about it as an emotion or an attitude. It is an action. And I want to suggest again, in the New Testament, well, in the Scripture, more often than not, Love has the idea of an action. God so loved the world that he, what, gave his son, you see. Love is an action. Uh, But love is also uh, obedience to God. And this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, see. So love has different meanings for us and different emphasis for us. So when we think of the word of love, we've got to think about it in a multitude of different ways. The same thing is true, and this is where I'm going with this. The same thing is true when it comes to praise, the praise of God. In the present generation, more often than not, when you mention praise, the younger generation is going to automatically think praise songs. Right? But, The other side of that coin is praise can come when we're praying. We can praise when we're singing. We can praise when we're praying. And and we have to understand those different categories. But the third one that I want to mention, and there's probably others, when you think of praise, child of God, we need to think in terms of the fact that the way I behave And the way I am obedient to the word of God becomes a testimony that praises him. When I say, Lord, I love you, I'm going to prove it to you, I am going to act in certain ways. Uh, Lord, I love you, I want to praise you, I'm going to respond in different ways. You see it? So praise has different meanings for us as well. So as we come to Philippians chapter 1, and the prayer of Paul, we're talking about how we can end up praising God, how we can praise him, and how we can help other people praise him by the way we conduct ourselves as believers in Christ. Amen? Now, the actual prayer begins earlier than where I read this morning as we started. It begins in verse 3. And I want you to go with me there. There's two parts to this prayer. There's the part that is a prayer of appreciation. Thank you, Lord. That's the first part of the prayer. Then the second part of the prayer begins in verse 9. And uh, it's a, a prayer of intercession on behalf of other people. So it's appreciation and it's intercession. Now let's look at the appreciation part of the prayer first. Notice it begins in verse 3. And it reads this way. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
There's his declaration. I thank God for you. Then he says, let me expand what I mean by that. I thank God for you because, notice in uh, verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer to you all. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff about prayer there. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 4, always. In other words, he is consistently, continuously praying for these people at the Philippi. Notice, secondly, offering prayer. Now, the point that I want to make here, here's another little Greek lesson. This verb form is what we call a middle form. In other words, we initiate of our own initiative, Paul says, we're to pray. I pray for you because I want to pray for you. Okay. So he consistently prays for them. He uh, is uh, voluntarily praying for them. Then notice, with joy. He joyously praises uh, uh, or, or prays for them. Now, Charles, that's an interesting comment. Because if you get involved in a regimented, and I mean that in a good sense, if you get involved in a regimented prayer life, it can become a drudgery if you're not careful. It will absolutely wear you out. I don't know how many people Paul prayed for, but it's a bunch. But the point is, he still is praying joyfully for these people at Philippi. He saw it as a tremendous ministry. So he continuously or uh, consistently prays for them. He does it voluntarily. He does it joyously. Then notice what he says, in my prayers. Now, child of God, I take that to mean in Paul's private prayer. He may have gotten together with his other workers and had a prayer time like we have here at church on Wednesday night, for example. But here he's talking about his own private prayer time. In my prayers, his, he prays privately for these people. And then notice, uh, in every, my every prayer for you all. In other words, it's inclusive. He's praying for them all. And as I look through the scripture, I draw the conclusion, child of God, that he not only prays for the church at Philippi, but as he does in others, he prays for individual people within that church. I was just sharing with Pastor. My uh, middle son's father-in-law died this week. So we're praying specifically for that individual. So things come up. Ministries come up. Difficult times come up. So we pray for individuals as well as the group. Does that make sense? Now, so we're to have a prayer of appreciation to God. But then he continues. He wants us to know why he likes to pray for these people. Notice what he says in, uh, in uh, uh, verse 5. He says, In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, they are somehow involved in his ministry. They're praying for him. They're supporting him. Well, we know in chapter 4 that they do support him because he sends them a thank you note in chapter 4. So they are involved, child of God, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. 
And we can be involved with our pastor uh, when uh, he is witnessing to other folks and sharing the gospel and doing counseling and preaching and so on. We can participate in his ministry as we pray for him. So he says, one of the reasons I pray for you is because of your participation in the gospel. Then in verse 6, he says, not only that, but I expect that God's going to continue to work through you and perfect you and use you in the ministry. Notice in verse 6 what he says. He says, I am confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perfect it. He will complete it, uh, the text says, until the day of Christ. I'm so thankful for your participation up to this point. And I know God's going to continue to use you. And I thank you for that. I want to pray for you because of that ongoing ministry in my ministry. And then in verse 7 and 8, he gives us a third reason why he prays for these people. He says, For it is not only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have in you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. I am so thankful for you. I love you because of uh, that participation. Notice that word, if you would, in, uh, uh, in uh, uh, the latter part of verse 7. Notice what he says. You're all partakers. Another little Greek lesson. The word here, koinonia, all of you have heard that. Uh, pastors use it all the time. Koinonia, fellowship. But this, this word has a little prepositional prefix attached to the front of it. Uh, it's a soon prefix. prefix. And the idea, you, we fellowship together. You share with me in this ministry. It's a fellowship, a joint effort. And he says, I, I love you for that. And then he says in verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So there's his prayer of thanksgiving. Now, may I make an observation? How often do you pray and thank God for people who minister to you? Have you ever thought about that? Just thanking them, uh, thanking the Lord, because they're saved. Thanking them for their participation in Glen Iris Baptist Church. The Apostle Paul is grateful for, for what God is doing in the lives of others, and he prays for them in light of that. Now, there's his prayer of appreciation. But for our purposes, we really want to emphasize beginning at verse 9 through verse 11. This is his prayer of intercession. The text uses a term in the Greek text. It uses a term that we would translate petition, but it's a petition for other people. So I just call it a prayer of intercession. Now, I want you to notice in this prayer uh, where he is interceding for these folk, there's two movements of thought, child of God. If you're going to outline it, it would be verse 9 uh, through verse 10a, the first half of verse 10. And that is dealing with growing in godly, watch it, godly loving. 
And then when you get to the B part of verse 10 through 11, it's growing in godly living. So it's two parts. He's praying that they will develop and grow in godly love so that they will also end up growing in godly living. Everybody with me? Now let's look at the first part. We're going to spend a little time here, the rest of our time together today in verse 9, 10, and 11. Notice what he says. And this I pray, that your love. Now I want you to look up here. There's a literary format that's being used here. You've heard me talk about henna clauses. Uh, and I, it, it simply means purpose clauses, basically. And he uses the henna clause here. He'll have henna. And then if you'll look down a little bit further in the verse 10, the English will have the that or so that. The word there is a preposition, ice. In other words, I'm praying that so that it'll end up unto this. You see it? And then he does it again in verse uh, in uh, in uh, in a, a verse eight, ten in the latter part. In order or that, and then the ice comes in the latter part of verse eleven unto glory and praise. So what he's doing is saying, I want to pray for these things to happen, so the end result will be this. Then I want to pray for these things, so that the end result will be this. Everybody with me? Now let's go back and look at it. Verse 9, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. He is not suggesting that their prayer or their love needs to uh, begin to abound. He's saying that your love will abound even more and more. It's an ongoing thing. We are supposed to learn to love better as the years go by. Now, notice what he says. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, we've got to look at those two words so that we have an appreciation for what he's saying. Notice he uses the word real knowledge. This is a word, gnosko, you've heard the pastor talk about it, to know. And there's a little preposition attached to the front of it that emphasizes it and intensifies it. So the emphasis is on real knowledge, is the way it's translated here. Real knowledge. In other words, experiential kind of knowledge. Let me explain, illustrate. I love cars. Uh, I used to be a street rotter. I don't even know what that is. A lot of people call it hot rotters. I had a 39 uh, Chevrolet with a Buick V6 updated in it. And then my last one was a 37 Ford, and I had a, uh, a Chevy 350 with 350 transmission. Could burn rubber, let me tell you. And I used to go to car shows. I loved them. And, uh, and when I was 15 years old, before I could even have my beginner's license back in Virginia, I already owned a car. I bought a car when I was 15, paid $45 for it, 
Ford. Now, I told my daddy I knew how to drive. He said, no, you don't. Daddy, I know how to drive. Oh, no, you don't. Daddy, this is back when you had clutch. Daddy, I know how to drive. I know that if I push the clutch in and take that hand shift and bring it down forward, I'm in first gear. And when I let out that clutch and step on the gas, it'll go. And then I get up to a certain speed, and I can push in the clutch, and I can take that gear shift and push it up and to the back, that second gear, Daddy. And it'll go when I let out the clutch and step on the gas. Then, Daddy, the final step is I pull that sucker down in the back, all the way down, and with the clutch and the gas and so on. I said, Daddy, I know how to drive. He says, no, you don't. You see, there's a difference, child of God, from knowing what to do and having the ability and the art of actually doing it. For we went out to the gravel pit, and Daddy said, okay, drive. You know how to drive? Drive. Hey, I can do this. I pulled it down into first gear. I let out the clutch and stepped on the gas and immediately choked it out. You're just making me nervous, Daddy. Let me try again. Go ahead. I pushed in the clutch, let out the gas, all that. Pushed it again to make it go, and I cut it off again. I never did get the car going in the gravel pit. You know what? I didn't have real knowledge about how to drive. Am I making sense? Real knowledge is talking about experience. May I say something else to you? You cannot have real knowledge of this book. I don't make I don't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference whether you make straight A's in Bible college and E exams. Until you start trying to put it into practice, you don't know real knowledge about the Bible. Amen? So, what is he saying? I am praying that you your love will abound by Real knowledge. That's one of the banks on the river that guides love. Real knowledge. Then the second one is all discernment. Well, we've got to look at that word. I have a friend up in West Virginia, Jeff. We were a real close friend. He was one of my car buddies, as a matter of fact, when we lived up in Maryland. We'd go to car shows together all the time. Uh, and he just uh, had uh, prostate cancer surgery, and so we're praying for him, and he called me to let me know how things are going. But one day he came out. He lives in Charlestown, West Virginia, which is right outside of Harper's Ferry. If you know your history, John Brown went there to, to cause the African-American folks to rise up and throw off the shackles of slavery. Well, he had a friend in the church that they went there, Faith Bible, Faith Bible Church, and uh, he was taking a hot meal over to them. Now, he's a good driver. He pulled up to the main intersection. The light turned green, and he didn't exercise discernment. 
he assumed everybody else was going to stop. It was his time to go, and he got T-boned. Discernment in driving means not only do you have the ability to drive, you have the art of driving, but you also are very cautious when you drive. Got it? So when he says, I want your love to abound in real knowledge and discernment. I want you to get to the point in your Christian life where what you read in the Scripture, you're applying it in your life. You understand it experientially. You know how to pray. You know how to witness. You know how to worship. And so on. Because you're practicing it. But also... You know discernment as well. You know how to protect yourself from making mistakes and so on. And those two things, real knowledge and discernment, as I say, are the riverbanks that causes the river of love to go in the direction it's supposed to go in your life. Now, that's important, child of God. You know why? Because the world we live in has a different definition of love. So we need to understand what real love is through discernment and real knowledge. Amen? So he's praying for them that their love will abound in real knowledge and discernment. Why? Here's your ice that is unto, verse 10, so that you may prove the things that are in, that are excellent, that you may prove the things that are excellent. Now, we've got to talk about that a little bit. If I finally get to the point where I'm applying the Scripture and I am experiencing real knowledge and discernment, that will lead me to make some good choices because I will choose the things that are excellent. We have different categories of evaluation. We'll say good, better, best, those kinds of things. The word here they use is excellent. It's better than all of those others. You know what the meaning of this word is literally in the original language? Different. It's the word different. It's the word that's used when Paul talks about difference in uh, Romans twelve six. He's talking to me. He's using this word. It's different. It's not the mundane, good, better, best. This is totally different. This is God's evaluation of things. Okay? With me? Excellent. Then notice what he says. So that you may prove the things that are excellent in order to be sincere, and blameless until the day of Christ. Once I know how to choose, and I understand the difference between good, better, and best in the world, and recognize the value system that God has, the things that are different, that will lead me to a point where I am able to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now we've got to look at those two words. What does he mean? If I'm going to pray for others, that they will have a life that is characterized by holiness 
that brings glory and praise to God. What is it going to look like? I must choose the things that are excellent as a result of real knowledge and discernment. I understand God's evaluation system, and then I can be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. What does sincerity mean and blameless mean? Sincerity, I call it, and sensitivity. Sincerity and sensitivity. Uh, Sincerity emphasizes more uh, our relationship with God. Sincerity with Him. People will look at you and say, the guy is real. He really loves God. Uh, That's sincerity. And then blameless uh, is sensitivity. My relationship with other people, acting in ways that are appropriate with other people. So now let's look at each one of them. When you talk about sincerity, the word in the original language is the word son, S-U-N. And the idea is that in antiquity, they one of the things they would do is they would look at things in the sunlight so that they can see if there was any imperfections in it. The word has the idea of judging by the sun so that any kind of, um, of impurities or foreign substance is taken away. It's pure. My wife has a, or had, I should say, she had a lot of teapots wherever we travel the world uh, together. She would buy a teapot, and people started finding out about it, and they'd give her teapots. Uh, we served in a Chinese community church in downtown D.C. for a while, and the pastor had uh, teapots. And I, I hope I can get by with this. And we would invite him over to the house, and he'd bring Betty a teapot. Sometimes two. One ninety. By the way, he was skinny as a rail, but man, could he put the food away? He'd eat. Hey, you got any more? Yeah, that was our next meal. He ate it that time. You know, he was a dear, dear brother. But one night he gave us gave Betty a teapot, and it was kind of a special one. And he's he's a single guy, never been married. And so he tried to explain her this teapot. He says, this teapot is for a husband and wife in those intimate moments. A little crack of a smile came up. He didn't know squat about that, but he knew that's what it was for. So he brought those teapots over. Well, my wife's giving most of them away. But the idea here at the text is you could take a teapot back in antiquity hold it up to the light of the sun, and you could see whether there were any imperfections. I think you've probably heard that illustration before. The idea is people can look at your life and see whether there's any cracks in your testimony. And so what is Paul doing? I am praying that you'll have real knowledge and real discernment that will give direction to your love so that you understand the things that are different, totally different by God's evaluation system, 
so that when people look at you, he's genuine. There's no cracks. We talk about the fact that we have feet of clay, and we understand that that means all of us are dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. But the point of this passage is that we grow as a result of prayer, others praying for us and us praying for others, so that we get to a point that people say, this man is the real deal. Amen? When we were up in Maryland, you know, close to the Chesapeake Bay, they used to have crab cakes. And I don't mean to be disrespectful or put anybody down, but I have been to places here in Birmingham when they say, Maryland crab cakes. Nah. There they weren't. When you got a crab cake there in Maryland, you got a jog. You got a meal. And it didn't have a lot of foreign material in it. It was crab meat. Understand? The real thing. And that's what Paul wants them to do in their lives. He wants them to be sincere so that they don't see any cracks and there's no foreign material in your life. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want out of your pastor? Isn't that what you want out of your deacons? Isn't that what you want out of your Sunday school teachers? Isn't that what we want as individual members of Glen Iris Baptist Church? We want to be people that others look at and say, they are the real deal. Amen? Now that comes, child of God, by us studying the Word and seeking that to apply in our life and going to Sunday school, listen to the pastor preach. But the other side of the corner, it comes from us praying for each other. Somehow we leave that out of the formula. Now, the second word that he uses here, that you, in order that you will be sincere, you won't have any cracks in your spiritual life that people can discern. But secondly, blameless. Blameless. Now, the word blameless, I call it sensitivity. That's the way I remember things. Uh, make them parallel, have words that sound a lot alike. And so sincerity before God, sensitivity toward man. Now, this word is translated in, in the New Testament as stumbling block or rock of, uh, uh, of offense. I want you to look at a couple of passages with me. Go with me to Romans chapter 14 and verse 13. Now hold your place in Philippians because we're coming back to it. But I want you to go with me uh, to this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 14 and verse 13. And notice what the text says. 14, 13. It uses this word that's translated in, in our passage, blameless. It uses that word in verse 13 of Romans 14. Therefore, let us not judge another anymore, but rather, let us uh, rather determine this, not to put a stu- an obstacle or a stumbling block, block in my brother's way. Now, I want you to look up here for a second. When we look at these passages, a stumbling block and so on, and most of the time it'll be in a passage that is dealing with liberty, Christian liberty, the gray areas. 
It's not black or white. It's in, in the middle somewhere, and different people have to respond, respond in different ways. Now, I, I get, let me give you an example. Uh, a lot of Christians today go to movies. Back when I was going to Bible college, you didn't go to movies. And I still don't. Because there's so much garbage in there that is so tempting to me. I can't stand that. I have to get away from it. Understand? Now, the point being, however, and I'll use an illustration. Hope Pastor won't get upset with me. When I was pastoring in Dayton, Ohio, the little town next to us was showing Song of the South. And I wanted my boys to see Song of the South. Well, our church, you weren't supposed to go to movies. So we took off one night, and my boys understood this. We'd say, boys, this is family business. You don't go blabbing it with anybody else. And, and, and Paul would do the same thing. When I'm around certain people, I respond in different ways. So our church didn't go to movies. What I wanted them to see, Uncle Remus, what did I do? We took them to the next town over, and we went to see Song of the South. We exercised what I considered my liberty. Am I making sense? And the idea is, I didn't want to offend any of our people, but for us, we felt that it was okay we could do. We could see Song of the South. So we went. Now, that's in the area of Christian liberty. And what Paul is saying here in this Romans 14, verse 13 passage is this. You, you have that ability to make those kinds of decisions in the gray areas, but don't you flaunt it in other people's faces. Okay? You don't want to mess up their Christian life. You're supposed to be a, a spiritual leader in their life, and they would be offended by some of the things that you could possibly do, but they couldn't. Now, may I make another statement before I continue on? We all have heard, if you've been studying your Bible, and you've been coming to church and studying in Sunday school, we talk about uh, Christian liberty in different ways, and we try to say to folks, there's a weaker brother that we've got to be concerned about. The weaker brother. May I make an observation to you? All of us are the weaker brother in one area or another. There's certain things I can't do that you could. But because of who I am, the dirty, rotten, seeking sinner comes out in me in different ways than it does you. Some things will bother you, wouldn't bother me. You see it? We went to see the Song of the South. No problem. But other people would be upset by that. Okay? So let's not talk about the weaker brother in a negative way. In, in one sense, we're all weaker brothers. Amen? Now, go back to the text. Notice what he says. He says that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere. No cracks. People see you as the genuine deal. And then, blameless until the day of Christ. Not a stumbling block. Let me look at another passage with you real quick. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want you to look at verse 9. Here's this word that's 
translated blameless in our text in Philippians is translated here stumbling block. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weaker brother. Got it? So blamelessness has to do uh, with uh, not offending and not being a stumbling block to someone else who wouldn't understand what you're doing. Does that make sense to you? Now I'm going to use another illustration. I was an army chaplain. You've heard me talk about that. And I spent a year in Vietnam. I belonged to the first of the 26th Infantry for a period of time. They rotated us within brigade. So I was in the first of the 26th Battalion. And one night I went into the officer's club. He said, you're not supposed to go to office. Yeah, I can drink a Coke. Give me a break. Uh, so I went into the officer's club. And he said, chaplain, do you want to become a blue spader? Well, yeah, I do. I want to become a blue spader. He said, well, there's an initiation you have to go through. I never heard of that before. And I came to find out they were giving me a hard time anyway. But they had this little ceremony so that you could be a blue spader for life. They took this little jigger, they call it, I think, uh, sort of like our communion cups, and they put a little bit of wine or something in it, and they'd strike a match and touch it, and a little blue flame would come up on it. That was the blue spader. That was their emblem. And what was I supposed to do to be a blue spader? Without burning my lip or my tongue, I want to be a blue spader for life. And if you did it right, it went down and you didn't get burnt. Now you say, Dr. Telly, why did you do that? Well, I didn't. You know why? I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Personally, to do that on that in that kind of a situation. I don't believe in social drinking. I don't believe in any of that stuff, but I didn't think this would be harmful until a little butter bar. You know what a butter bar is? That's a second lieutenant with that little gold bar. He came up to me, genuine, fine believer. He said, Chaplain, we can't do that. I said, why? He said, that would be drinking. I knew right then, if I had participated in that, what would I become in his life? A stumbling block. You see it? That's what Paul's saying. I am praying that you will be have such a life, choosing the things that are excellent, that somehow or another, you can be sincere without cracks in your life. And you'll be blameless as well. You'll be blameless in the eyes of other people. Now notice what he says. In order that you might be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Christ Jesus, watch it, ice, unto what? Glory and praise of God. 
Child of God, it's amazing. I can pray for you. You can pray for me. And I, through my prayer ministry for you, can impact your life as you walk with God so that you have a holiness and purity in your life that brings glory and praise to God. Now, you see those two words, our time is gone. See the two words, to the glory and praise of God. Glory has more to do with opinion and evaluation. Whereas praise means homage, uh, homage. Uh, as a result of that evaluation, they will send praise to God. You see it? Now, I hope you'll go out and you'll practice this. You'll pray for me that I'll be holy and people will see me as the genuine believer I want to be in him and for pastor and that we won't, we won't be offensive to anyone before the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would help us to learn how to pray in ways that bring glory to you and give us the privilege of ministering in the lives of other people. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.